The following program deals with a controversial subject. The theories expressed are not the only possible interpretation. Viewers are invited to make a judgment based on all available information. This is your captain speaking. We are beginning our descent into madness. Open, open, your, 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 my, my, my. And we're back to another edition of West of the Rockies. I'm Frank. Thank you guys for singing around. I know it's late, but boy, we have a really interesting, fascinating show lined up for everyone tonight. I'm joined by Genevieve. Genevieve, how are you? I'm very well and super excited for the show. Tonight, we're going to tackle a topic that we have discussed in the past. It remains an unsolved mystery, really. In Completely, every no, yeah. aspect every of aspect, that yeah. definition. And it's something that still captures people's attention. And if you're not familiar with the uh, mystery surrounding the unfortunate death of a young lady from Canada named Elisa Lam, then uh, hang on to your seats because this is probably going to blow your mind. We have Jake Anderson. He's currently residing in Portland, Oregon. He lived in California for a while, pursuing his writing and filmmaking. In that time, he received his bachelor's degree in film and digital media from the University of California. He's written numerous screenplays in that time, short stories, creative nonfiction works. And he's also worked on many a film, including Evan Almighty, Transformers 3, and The Immortalists. He's also currently um, a freelance writer for the Antimedia.org, as well as um, a director for the ghostdiaries.com. And now I definitely urge you to check out the ghostdiaries.com. It's great. And we can attest to the fact that he's a very, very cool guy. So with that, I'm more than honored to welcome Jake Anderson onto the show. Very cool. Jake, can you hear us okay? Oh, I sure can. Good to be here. Hey, guys. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us. It's uh, it's really a treat for us because this is a case that, as I mentioned uh, just now, it really fascinates a lot of people. There's a lot of questions that need answers. And, you know, there's a lot of uh, a mystery surrounding this case. And I remember when I first heard about it and Obviously, I remember when the video first came out, and that's really, I think, what got people's uh, attention, you know, that video going viral. But you have been working on a project to tell this story and find out what exactly went on and what happened. Why don't we start with how you first came across this case and what was it that jumped at you that made you decide to undertake this project? Um, a friend of mine um, sent me a link to the, the YouTube video. So I watched it and, uh, it, you know, at first I actually, uh, did, didn't make too much of it. Um, uh, it wasn't until I looked into the backstory and, uh, particularly, uh, when I, you know, when I looked into the history of the hotel and then once, once her body was found, uh, that's when I, uh, you know, went back and watched it again. Um, and then, you know, I'm a big conspiracy theory buff. So anytime there's a, a case that mixes psychi you know, uh, psychological issues, which, which will come up in a, in a little bit here, 
uh, and paranormal uh, and conspiracy theories. You know, you've, you've got my attention when you have those elements. And then, of course, um, the, the the level of synchronicity that's going on in the case, uh, which we'll get into as well. And it all added up, and gradually, I just started going down the rabbit hole more and more. Uh, you know, staying up later into the night, looking up strange. Uh, names of military companies loosely associated with the case, just, you know, just really kind of, uh, you know, uh, slowly losing my mind uh, looking into the case. And then I started writing uh, a book about it. And um, I was content with that because you can kind of do a more, um, if you can kind of do uh, more of a, you know, a personalized account of, of uh, approaching the subject matter. And for me, it's a very, per it's, it's personal because, you know, Lisa Lamb had bipolar disorder and that runs in my family and I've lost, you know, loved ones from that uh, illness. So uh, for me, it, it, it became very personal. And, and then I was fortunate enough to uh, get, get a hold of a, a friend of Elisa's, someone who had, who had been her friend while she was alive. And uh, at that point, I realized that uh, the story, you know, really had taken on a new element. Uh, and, and by that point, this was one, this is one of the most viral mysteries online. I mean, if, if you look up strange deaths or mysterious deaths, I mean, this is you know, very likely to turn up in the first page of Google results. So at that point, I decided, you know, I want to try and make, uh, tell the story visually, which is probably the best way to tell it, given that uh, the the most notable feature of it is this, you know, weird found footage, you know, some of the creepiest found footage ever, ever seen. And then I enlisted my, my good friend and co-director, Jared Salas, to get involved. And yeah, here we are in the present, still bumbling through, trying to make sense of a case that the police say is solved, but still half the pop, half the people who look at it still think it was a murder. So I don't know what, where we're supposed to go from here. <laughs> and the Cecil Hotel, which is located here in downtown LA, it has quite the history. For the people that are, may not be familiar with this place, it's a hotel that was built, uh, I believe, sometime in the 1920s. And uh, it fell, you know, on hard times. It's relatively close to an area that known here in L.A. as Skid Row. Not the safest place to be at, especially if you're an out-of-towner, which in the case of Elisa Lam, that's what she was. Mm -hmm. She was visiting. Uh, I guess she called it her West Coast tour. Yeah, she was just passing through, really. And there's not even evidence that it was planned ahead of time. Um it might have been something she kind of decided to like, you know, visit just as she was chilling on the West Coast. Right. And it looks like she came across the Cecil Hotel. Now, among the uh, the more infamous tenants of this hotel, there was uh, Richard Ramirez, who a lot of people know him as the serial killer. Also, his nickname, the Night Stalker. Mm -hmm. uh, he stayed there for a while, as well as a journalist from Austria. I'm going to let Genevieve pronounce this name because I don't want to butcher it. Oh, Untberger. <laughs> Jack Untberger. Yeah, I apologize, folks. I'm not well-traveled. <laughs> and Elisa Short, who was, uh, who's better known as the Black Dahlia, apparently also stayed there. Jake, have you gotten a chance to visit this hotel? And what was the vibe? Uh, I mean, what what's the deal? 
Um, I don't know what the deal is, but I did stay there. I've stayed there twice, actually, and both times I did it alone, which I do not recommend. Of course, right now the hotel is closed for like two years as they remodel, you know, as they build a a bar and pool on the rooftop where she died, which is a whole other story. Uh, So they changed the name of this hotel, uh, like, I don't know, last decade, I think, to stay on Main because the hotel had such a horrible uh, reputation. Um, at, you know, as you noted, there's two different serial killers that have lived there. There's also just an incredible, um, just staggering, uh, list of suicides that have occurred at the hotel through each decade too. I mean, consistently from the thirties on, uh, just dozens and dozens of people who've jumped, jumped out the windows. Um, and, uh, so it's, uh, there's, you know, if, if ever there was a place that would have a shining like effect, a place where a kind of a collective of bad experiences and bad deaths uh, accumulated to create some kind of um, bad energy, this would be the place for it. You know, I talked to psychics uh, who I wanted to go there with me to, you know, do a reading of it and they, they wouldn't they wouldn't even go. Like, oh, they wow. Were just saying, there's a cloud of darkness around this place. It's just like we don't want to be a part of it. So when I went, I was trying to do some some research, and you know, I just as soon as I got in, I felt kind of nauseous, and uh, it, inside the room, I felt uh, discombobulated. I felt uh, you know scared, like just physically scared for no reason. I, I honestly thought I was going to die there. It was very irrational fear. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't know what's going on at the place, but, um, you know, there is a theory and it's one we're going to explore in the film, which is, uh, our friend Clyde Lewis refers to it as residual haunting, which is, uh, you know, the idea that, you know, past bad experiences can kind of leave a residue on a place. Uh, I actually, so I think there may be some kind of quantum entanglement involved where, you know, if our consciousness can leave a trace on the physical world around us, it stands to reason that, uh, you know, these very tragic demises of people would leave a particularly accented uh, trace behind and, and could lead to um, leaving, you know, leaving behind an energy that affects people, uh, particularly people that uh, have a psychiatric illness. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is a whole, mm-hmm. whole paranormal theory, which is that uh, people with psychiatric illnesses are even more susceptible to uh, kind of empathic or uh, paranormal uh, experiences. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I am, but I, I certainly felt nauseous the entire time I was there, and uh, you know, I'm not the only one. So, you know, I try and play a little bit of a skeptic's role on on some of this stuff because I don't like to jump to jump to conclusions, you know. But I I can certainly attest to going there. And being scared for my life, it kind of felt like uh, the movie 1408 with John Cusack, where he goes and, uh, you know, he starts off kind of laughing about, you know, the hotel and whatnot. And he ends up, you know, losing his mind in the hotel room. So thanks for reminding me about that movie. I totally forgot about that one. (laughs) Yeah. And I'd really like to know if you actually um, had any sleep at the Cecil Hotel or did you just spend the night there? No, I slept. Um, I slept, uh, Ghostbusters was on, uh, I had tried to call in to a radio show, another radio show that I do Mm -hmm. from the hotel and 
I, I couldn't I couldn't get through. And the host kept kept saying, well, the ghost of Jake is trying to get through. <laughs> and he, he had no idea I was staying there. So I was just like, what the hell? Is, I, I didn't know if it was some kind of digital digital haunting or, or not. You know, I don't know. Uh, there's there's uh, a lot of people that think that uh, there's something uh, you know going on in that hotel, and I guess we'll just have to wait and see if things keep happening after the renovation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I know when uh, when they changed the name of the hotel, yeah, they were definitely making a big push to distance themselves from this kind of dark aspect of its history. And on the note of suicides, I believe there was even a, a, a situation where somebody jumped out of a window, out of the Cecil, and they landed on somebody that was just happens to be walking by the hotel, killing yeah. that person as well. Whether you want to call it coincidences or not, there's still some very strange things happening here. Now, it was this very hotel where Elisa Lam arrived. And something that was interesting, and I want to know if you know anything about this. It seems when she first checked into the hotel, she was sharing a room with two other uh, young women, because I believe. Because I think most people don't realize that they actually have a hostel part right. of the hotel and a normal hotel part of the hotel. And thirdly, a residential part of the hotel. So it's actually like a three-tiered hotel. Right. Do you know what happened with these two girls? Because apparently she was only in that room with them for a fairly brief amount of time. I haven't read anyone who knows anything about these two women, and I certainly would like to find them. Um, I'm surprised that they haven't uh, spoken out, but that's par for the course with this case because there's just a lot of a lot of people uh, involved with it that that won't speak about it. And, uh, you know, what's interesting is, you know, after she was moved, uh, she was moved to a different room because they, these two women complained that she was acting strange. And of course there was really no other, um, no further detail on, on what they mean by strange or, you know, how she was moved. It seemed, it seems like she was moved without really knowing. So I don't know if that meant that they had just taken her stuff and moved it to another room for her. Does that mean that someone in the hotel had access to her room? And, uh, you know, interestingly, you know, the floor that she ended up on, uh, where the surveillance tape was, was shot, that was the 14th floor. Now the 14th floor has a couple notable things going for it. One, that's the same floor that the Night Stalker lived on when he was doing his activity. And two, uh, the higher floors of the Cecil, from, from the research I've gathered, uh, the higher floors, the 14th included, that's where the long-term residents live. Yeah, so yeah. It, it's unclear what she was doing up there to begin with. Uh, and it's unclear from the surveillance tape, which has a number of problems with it. Uh, it's unclear if she was talking to someone out in the hallway thinking about someone or just simply having a conversation with herself during a bipolar break. Now, one of the interesting things to note is, obviously, um, for those who haven't seen the CCTV footage, what you see is um, Elisa kind of like in the elevator going out, um, seemingly looking at someone to, you know, our right talking to someone and flaying her arms. Um, the elevator door stays open for all of these 
however many seconds or minutes because we're not quite sure how many seconds passed. Now, one of my conclusions was always the only way that door could have stayed open, putting aside all kind of um, anomalies such as it was broken, etc., etc., is that someone was standing outside the lift, pressing down the button, keeping the door open. Because obviously we know there was no one on the inside pressing the open door button. So the only way it could have stayed open for a weird amount of time is if someone was outside standing there, holding the button down, keeping the door open. And that might be an indicator of there's someone being there who she was addressing. Yeah, I mean, that was that early on, that was my favorite theory because it's just so creepy. Um, but, you know, it's possible. I, you know, after being in the hotel, that's the only elevator on the on the floor. So I don't know where this other person where I don't know where they would have been standing um, to influence the elevator in that way, uh, unless uh, they were on a different floor. So I, I don't know about that part of it. It's it's certainly possible. Definitely the way she looks out of the elevator. I mean, it definitely seems like, I mean, the first thing she does when she gets in the elevator is uh, peek out uh, really quickly, um, apprehensively, and then she basically hides in the corner. So the first analysis of the tape is certainly that she's uh, hiding from someone. And, and a couple people have done body language analysis of the tape and have concluded that she's being more playful and and possibly even uh, romantically thinking about someone, kind of coquettish almost is what uh, some people have, uh, you know, which is, you know, doesn't really rule out anything because if she's uh, thinking about um, someone, you know, perhaps this is the person that she was involved with at the hotel so it's just a big, giant mystery, and there's some missing links that we need to, to find. But yeah, I, I don't, I don't think anyone knows exactly what's going on in that tape. And more importantly, it's you know some researchers have have concluded that the tape's actually been tampered with, uh, that there are possibly cuts to the tape, cuts to the time code, uh, which would uh, you know indicate perhaps the tape being tampered with and you know really the only the only people that would be able to do that are people you know employees of the hotel and I'm not you know accusing anybody at the hotel of anything but it's hard to explain jumps in the time code which I I personally observed the minute hand changing twice in like 10 seconds if the hotel turned over you know a tampered tape to the police uh, did the police uh, notice this? Uh, if not, why? If so, did they pursue leads? Did they pursue asking why the tape was tampered with? Um, and of course, we get no answers from the police on that. Uh, you know, I don't know. I, I remember thinking if if there's no drugs found in her system, uh, no recreational drugs found in her system, this has got to be, you know, a haunting or it, you know, I just couldn't understand how someone could be acting the way she was acting. Um, but, you know, they did find uh, one antidepressant in her system and um, she had other medications prescribed to her. 
But um, that's I'm getting us off subject here. Um, well, I think that's actually quite an interesting subject because the I mean, I say fact in terms of <laughs> as much as we know it as a fact. Um, the fact is that apparently she hadn't been taking her medication, at least not as uh, frequently as she should have been, because we do know when she last refilled her prescription. We know how many she received and we know how many were left at the time of um, finding her body. And the fact is not many pills had been taken suggesting she was off her medication. So really, that is an interesting point to make. Yeah, yeah she was off her. I mean, she, she the only medicine found in her system was Wellbutrin, which is an antidepressant. Uh, but not, uh, she hadn't taken any of her bipolar medications. So she was, she's definitely off her meds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And on that note of the, uh, of the surveillance tape, now you can go, you know, on YouTube and find the tape at a normal speed. And it almost has a completely different vibe, which begs the question, you know, if we follow the flow of information, as you said earlier, did the hotel provide a tape that was so heavily edited to the police and nobody spotted it? It could be that the surveillance cameras is like an older model one. Uh, but I do find interesting when you watch that surveillance tape at normal speed, it definitely has a different vibe. And I wonder why would they slow it down or was that just, uh, yeah, a mechanical error on behalf of the, uh, of the equipment they use for surveillance? Let's talk about Elisa's or the last person to have seen Elisa. I guess it was a few people, actually. It was uh, some of the hotel workers, but it was also this uh, lady by the name of Katie Orphan, who's who's the manager at the last bookstore. And she described seeing a very happy and lively Elisa who was there shopping for gifts and buying souvenirs for her family. Could she be having some type of weird mood swings where she's having, you know, there's these very, very normal interactions with people and be suffering uh, silently, if I may use the term. Do you know if it's possible to, to have that type of mood swings if you're not taking your medications? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's bipolar disorder is a mood disorder. And uh she, you can, you can see in her blog entries, wild shifts in mood, but let, let me, I just want to back up just mm-hmm. real quick to uh, respond to your comment about the tape. One reason that, um, a tape would be slowed down would be to stretch out the time. So if you had gone in and taken out a few seconds from the video because someone was in it that didn't want to be in it you would then slow down the footage to spread back out uh, to meet the time code. That, wow. that would, that's, that's one theory I've seen uh, put out there. But yeah, she, you know, she, was, she had uh, you know, psychiatric problems. You know, these are, uh, it's not, uh, we're not jumping to conclusions. We're not um, doing her a disservice where it's just, you know, she posted you know, she had two different blogs online. Right. One was a Tumblr and one was a, you know, blog spot or something. And she meticulously updated them. Um, there's hundred, hundred pages or so worth of writing. And, and she was very open about, she'd have hypomanic rants that would go on in all caps you know, late at night. And then, then she wouldn't get out, get out of bed for a few days, uh, from the depression side of it. And, you know, that's, uh, 
longer mood swings. And then with bipolar disorder, you get rapid cycling where you can kind of switch back and forth really quickly. And um, so I don't know if that's what was going on that caused her roommates to, to get freaked out. It's pretty likely, you know, and uh, it's, it's also unclear whether bipolar disorder can cause hallucinations, um, including auditory hallucinations. So it's quite possible that Elisa thought that she heard someone out in the hallway and didn't. It's possible that she, that she saw someone, saw something out in the hallway and didn't. Uh, taking it a little step further, uh, you know, maybe it's a mixture of uh, a hallucination and some kind of paranormal activity, some kind of something from the past of the hotel that she has a unique perspective of because of uh, her state of mind. Um, yeah, it's- yeah, let's speculate on that a little bit because this is, uh, you know, it might sound a bit outlandish, but if I may borrow the listener's ears for a minute and just for a little uh, preamble to my statement, in many cultures in the course of human history, people that have what now we classify as some type of mental illness are and were considered in some cultures as having a gift. Uh, it wasn't anything that they consider bad. They felt that these people had some type of access to another reality or another dimension, or they could communicate with beings from other realities or dimensions. Again, this is, this is pure speculation on my behalf. And I just want to explore this possibility a little bit. If the Cecil, whether it's the area or the building itself or people in there, if the Cecil has some type of, as you mentioned, some type of paranormal activity or some type of uh, supernatural uh, thing going on. And if we believe what people in these cultures have said for many, many years, that people with some of these disorders are actually more sensitive to these other entities and these other worlds, then we kind of begin to have a, a possible explanation, granted a paranormal one. How comfortable are you exploring that possibility because i know a lot of people feel that it's not respectful a lot of times however in a case where you have a building with a very checkered history and a case that has more questions than answers you can't help but make that connection right yeah i try and resist going to a paranormal ex explanation uh, that's my last recourse. Uh, but in this particular case, uh, it's just this incredible confluence of events that uh, is, is very disturbing. And, and yeah, I mean, it, I think you make a good point about uh, the, the cultural history of, of how, you know, psychiatric illness was dealt with, uh, you know, different uh, societies, have, you know, uh, executed people that um, displayed, uh, you know, these kinds of symptoms. Uh, people were burned as witches. Um, there's a long, horrible history of, uh, of how the mentally ill are treated. Of course, in today's society, uh, we don't we don't kill them, uh, but we will stigmatize them and, uh, you know, ostracize and castigate them and 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 unfortunately that's kind of what's what's happened to elisa lamb in uh, posthumously uh, after this case is that uh, the you know 
she's really kind of been turned into this just, uh, you know, kind of grisly um, horror meme. Right. Uh, so, and so one of the things we want to do with the documentary is to kind of humanize her and, uh, you know, uh, give her back a little bit of, of some of her personhood uh, that, that she brings out in, in her own writings. But uh, as far as your question of whether I'm comfortable, I mean, I, I, I think I think I'm I'm comfortable uh, speculating on it for sure because uh, I mean, uh, as we dig into the history of the hotel, it, it's just simply too big of a coincidence for me that that you know she's happen that this is happening on the same floor as where the Night Stalker was, and then there's other coincidences too. There's all kinds of weird synchronicities in this case. You know, there's the the uh, horror movie Dark Water. Um, do you want to actually elaborate on that? Because I think a lot of people listening right now might just be coming into this out of blue. So could you just yeah. give us a brief overview of that connection between Dark Water and the Lisa Lamb case? Yeah, Dark Water was, uh, it was first actually a Japanese short story, like in the 80s. And then it was turned into a Japanese film and then turned into an American film. And in, um, in, in both films, you know, end up with a young woman ending up in a water tank on the, on the roof of the hotel, which of course is what happened to Elisa Lamb. I'm not even sure if we've stated that yet, but that's what actually happened to her. But, uh, she ended up in the, in the water tank, uh, in the water supply. So people have been drinking and bathing with the water for like two weeks. And in the movies, uh, also the water, seeps down in the dark water seeps down into the hotel there's uh coincidences involving the names uh there's coincidences involving subject matter in terms of uh people in elevators being watched with a surveillance tape there's just incredible incredible overlaps between dark water and what actually happened then of course my 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 favorite synchronicity uh of the case is uh, that there was a <clears throat> tuberculosis outbreak in mm-hmm. downtown right. Los Angeles at this time. And the government had actually like dispatched uh, dozens of scientists, federal scientists, to you know study this tuberculosis outbreak. It was predominantly homeless people because, as you said, this is in the Skid Row neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And... The, the test they so used. So just for everyone listening right now, this was completely unrelated at the time. This was a separate case. This was just a tuberculosis case that the government was addressing, right? Yeah, so completely just to make separate. Clear, yeah. Nothing to do with the uh, nothing to do with the case, but the name of the test being used, and this test was already established. It was already this was an, this is an old test. Uh, it's called the Lamb Elisa test, spelled the exact same way as her name. So there's there's no conspiracy there. I mean, it, there's not like someone named the test that because of her. It's just simply an incredible coincidence uh, that uh, you know even people, the most stoic of skeptics, when confronted with that aspect of the case, you know their knees kind of buckle a little bit because it's just like what in the hell is going on with, with this case. Yeah. Uh, dark, dark synchronicity is a phrase that Clyde Lewis has used. And I think it applies here. Absolutely. And I remember when I read about that tuberculosis, uh, test that they were carrying out and I saw the name, my jaw literally dropped. And I think if memory serves me, that was probably the moment where I was like, okay, there is, 
there's got to be something to this. There is no way. And I remember just doing research. I don't know how many of our listeners uh, are familiar with the term of black flag event. But I remember reading somewhere because the Internet has its good side and its bad side. And on the list of good things is that you can research just about anything on the Internet. And I remember somebody saying that a tactic that is used for, for black flag events or when something is going to happen and they want to uh, be able to kind of hide their tracks a bit or do something like that is that they'll do something that has the exact same name so that when you Google it, you're going to get search results for that other thing and not whatever it is, you that know, that you they're really trying to yeah, hide or whatever. And I remember coming across that theory at the time. And, you know, like I said, I was getting just blown away by this case. And when I read that, I was like, well, you know, I, I'm inclined to believe that uh, after everything I've been reading. That, that's a, you know, I'm, I'm intrigued by that theory. Uh, it, it's, it's uh, I don't know if it's connected to false flag theories, but one, you know, one uh, conspiracy theory I've heard, which is that, yeah, like a, a black flag event where, where, where that uh, the name, uh, basically it would be a way for elites or people involved in kind of big black ops operations going on to communicate with each other uh, across distances, you know, without, without really actually having to communicate. So, it, you know, the question has been asked, you know, was there, was there something going on larger with this tuberculosis outbreak? Uh, that, uh, you know, did Elisa Lamb have something more to do with it? And, you know, was the use of her name, um, you know, in some way associated with some kind of, uh, you know, purposeful outbreak? Uh, maybe she was a, a guinea pig uh, because of that name. And so upon her death, people would know something. Um, there's all kinds of conspiracy theories there. Of course, nothing is proven. But yeah, I'm, I'm intrigued by that theory because it, it's, just, it's just so incredible that, she, that her name, uh, it was the name of that test uh, in such a short period of time. Yeah, it was definitely one of those moments where I felt like this thing was definitely bigger than, than what I expected it to be. Now, we were talking about a minute ago how Elisa Lam was found and this is also a key point in the mystery. And I think either either uh, Genevieve or you, Jake, probably may have this information. But Elisa Lamb was not a, 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 a you know like physically strong or or, or big person, mm -hmm. right? She was kind of a, a petite um, young yeah, lady, right? Yeah, I don't know, like if, hundred pounds, hundred ten pounds, or right? Something. And I remember reading that in order to lift, well, first of all, you got to get up to these tanks using a ladder and you got to climb up this tank and then to lift. To be honest, like, I think that was overdone a bit. It wasn't mm -hmm. that difficult. It wasn't we, that difficult. No, no, too. no. Uh -huh. Like, I think it was debunked. It was pretty easy to climb up. It was pretty easy to lift up the latches. So I think that part was quite debunked yeah yeah because one of the things that people asked was well how could she have gained access to the roof right most buildings i mean i live in an yeah. apartment building and the I roof the is kind of off limits the fact was they didn't have the security in place but does that mean that guests just freely could move around the, a the hotel apparently apparently yes that's, that that's what that's the news i have i don't know what 
what other info you have, Jake. But as far as I know, like it seemed like there was no real security in place. The alarms were never on, and they could kind of like just, just go up into the roof whenever. They, yeah, yeah, wow. yeah. But, and that's what a few investigators did on the down low. Yeah, I, I I think the consensus is that she probably got to the roof uh, via a fire escape. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, because there's there's multiple fire escapes and uh, it's possible to get to the roof. It's it's not it's not exactly easy, but it, you know it's definitely possible that that she was able to finagle her way onto the roof. Uh, and then, but yeah, as far as climbing the thing itself and, and getting in, I. I all, everything I've looked at, um, it, it was certainly possible for her to for her to do it. Um, of course, you know, it's also possible that she was carried up there or ordered up there. Um, it's an interesting idea, maybe, to think that uh, people have said that uh, you know tenants of the hotel hang out up there, you know, smoke cigarettes or drink beers or whatever. Uh, there was you know graffiti tags on the on the tank. Um, so that makes one wonder whether there's more information, you know, was she up there with someone? Uh, did she die from a different way? Did she die elsewhere or was killed elsewhere and then brought up there and concealed up there? Uh, you know, there's all kinds of questions. Um, and unfortunately, I, I can't trust the coroner's report. Uh, really, I don't trust it. I, I mean, I want to talk to the I'd like to talk to the coroner Ed and Winter if I can get a hold of him um, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. in his report he uh, frequently uh, just defers to uh, the police investigators and you know says you know the findings are uh, as as reported by the police investigators mm-hmm. you know it, it it's doesn't seem like he did a thorough independent analysis of the body. And they also did not conduct a rape test, which I, I don't I don't understand how you find a woman naked dead and not conduct a rape test. Yeah, uh, yeah but they did. Totally agree. Yeah, that was incredible. There were there were quite a few tests that they didn't do, and some of them also um, apparently they didn't carry out certain tests because there was insufficient blood present, which also was something that I was. Um, interested in because the only blood they really found that was testable was in the heart and that was only a scant amount yeah apparently there was no blood taken from any other part of the body that was tested yeah and actually that is a great place to stop we're going to take a top of the hour break because i actually want to get into the coroner's report so i want to get into that without interruption so uh jake if you'd be so kind to just hang on the line we're going to take the stop of the hour break and when we come back we're going to dive right back in into this conversation cool sure thing yeah all right so don't go wait guys west of the rockies is coming right up in just a few minutes let's see why don't we play a little bit of uh well one of my favorite artists david bowie rest in peace uh, here's the heart's filthy lesson from his album Outside. This is David Bowie, West of the Rockies, coming right up in just a few. Our guest tonight is Jake Anderson, and we're talking about the mysterious case of Elisa Lamb. Here we go. Open, open, open your, your, your mind, mind, mind. 
And we're back to the second hour west of the Rockies. I'm Frank. Thank you guys for sticking around. Uh, it's it's honestly a very intriguing show. Genevieve is having a little laugh back there. Well, someone just said, hi, dad, and live. Hi, uh, I Lu- hi Lucifer's Carnations. Shout out to Lucifer's Carnations. And Javed Khan is listening in right now from India. India. That's crazy stuff. Um, DJ Shocker is there. Earl Swag is tuning in from Alaska. We've had Space Cow, I believe. From what I remember, he was down in San Diego the last time I checked. Um, Space Cow, correct me on that if I am wrong. Giraffe is tuning in all the way from Australia. Australia. It's tomorrow in Australia, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Right? It's Monday. Yeah, no, yeah, it's it's probably it like five already. days away already. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Shout out to everyone tuning in through the TuneIn app. <laughs> everyone tuning in on Ustream. We are listening to all of your comments constantly. We're reading them. And if you've got like real questions to ask to ourselves or the um, interviewee, we Better will yet. shout them out. If you have stayed in the Cecil, let us know. Oh, my goodness. A lot of people definitely. have come through yeah. that hotel, man. More than... Yeah, so we definitely have people from all over the globe tuning in right now, which is great. And we're here with Jack Anderson of the Ghost Diaries online and various other things. Yeah, and just uh, just take care of business, just doing a little back announce. You heard uh, some David Bowie there uh, with The Heart's Filthy Lesson, followed by, I should say, Jim Sullivan and uh, the song Jerome, which uh, that there's another mystery, the uh, mystery of Jim Sullivan. We actually interviewed the head of Light in the Attic Records who uh, put out this album. They found this obscure record, put it out, and uh, there's the story for you. Yeah, the guy's still missing, never yeah. found, and that's and, also an unsolved yeah, mystery. Yeah, and his album dealt with, and this is in like the 60s, like before, you with know, when UFOs. Yeah, he was, uh, his album yeah. was called UFO, and it was very psychedelic and stuff. But if you haven't checked it out, yeah, if you haven't <laughs> checked it out, we're going to be actually posting that story, hopefully this this week that interview absolutely it happened a few years ago but since then we've gotten a website and gotten some other cool stuff so uh be on the lookout for that check out jim sullivan the album is ufo one of my all-time favorites i used to listen to that record on my way back from some uh spirit quests let's put it that way anywho as always <laughs> i'm engineer frank on twitter west of the rockies on facebook don't forget to follow the show on twitter at wotr radio and check out the website, WTRRadio.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on YouTube. We don't only just post our radio interviews on YouTube. We also post video interviews. And I believe we're going to be posting one with Jake, who is our guest tonight. We will be. Yeah, we will we, be. We, we caught up with Jake out there in contact in the desert. snippet interview. Yeah, just to, just to get people's, uh, yeah. Excited over what's what, yeah, what Jake (laughs) is working on. As always, I'm joined by Genevieve. You can uh, follow her on Twitter and in real life if you find her at Genevieve Uway. And uh, do not follow me in real life. (laughs) That was a joke, folks. Don't follow her in real life. Anyways, uh, you can also catch her here hosting her very own show, 8 p.m. Thursdays, right? Thursdays with no added flavors, music, fun facts jokes and a whole lot more definitely check it out as i mentioned our guest tonight is uh, jake anderson who is working on this documentary about the mysterious case of elisa lamb 
And I want to get Jake back on the on the line here and ask Jake, uh, where can people keep up with you and and get some updates on the progress of this project? That honestly, I'm sure everybody will be dying to see. No pun intended, and that was a horrible pun, and I apologize. But where can people well, keep up with okay. you? <laughs> uh, well, let's see. Um, my Twitter information is probably posted. Um, you know, if people really want to get involved, um, I created a, a, a public Facebook group um, called the Elisa Lamb Web Sleuth Team. And if you, if you send me a, um, if, if you want to join it, just ask to join and I'll let you in. And that's a good way to keep up with updates. I mean, we, we kind of just established it, so we haven't, it's, it's not full yet, but that's a good way to keep up with, uh, you know, any updates about the film. I mean, we're, we're still very, very early. I mean, we're still in pre-production on it. So, um, uh, you know, there's not a lot of updates yet, but, but there will be. And, you know, and if, if you want to read, um, some of my case notes, I'll be releasing that as an ebook soon. And so I'll have information up on, uh, on how to read that. This one also let people know that they can also check out the websites antimedia.com and ghostdiaries.com. And mm -hmm. I believe you, you write for those websites. Yeah. It's the antimedia.org actually. Or, and, I apologize. Uh, yeah. That's more, I mean, that's definitely uh, political, geopolitical, technological uh, stuff I write about. Um, not so much. Uh, I mean, conspiracy, some conspiracy theories too. But uh, definitely, definitely not paranormal stuff on there. But yeah, that's that's another uh, site I write for. Nice. And the ghost diaries is that kind of like all the spooky stuff that happens around the world? Yeah, the ghost diaries. Uh, you know, it really started out as just a way for us to, uh, you know, post weird stories we hear and also, uh, you know, horror movie reviews because we love horror movies. Nice. Um, but it's since kind of turned into just. You know, we, we kind of, uh, it's gone through a couple of iterations and, and, uh, we kind of just see it as being a, you know, a journal of the unknown, you know, any anomalous activity, uh, conspiracy theories, uh, you know, anything that's strange or unexplained, uh, we're, we're interested in, uh, cause we like to think that the world isn't completely explained yet. Yeah, I would have to agree. And uh, I was checking out those websites and, and there are a lot of uh, articles and stories on there. Definitely check those out, folks. Uh, if you're into the topics we tackle on this show, these websites will be right up your alley. Um, Antimedia.org and ghostdiaries.com. All right, Jake, let's dive back into the this case and specifically what we learned or didn't learn for that matter from the uh, autopsy reports. And I know before we went to the break, we were discussing it, and Genevieve, you mentioned the uh, the scarce amounts of blood that the body had, yeah, right? Yeah, and mm -hmm. that was that was a bit strange. Why don't you recap for us that, and then I want to get Jake's take on this, and if there are any non paranormal explanations first before obviously going that route. I mean, well, from what I remember, um, the main specimen of blood that they could find was in the heart and in the heart there was only a um, small amount of blood left there were not any other blood tests carried out because as far as we know there was not enough blood to carry them out 
and they were omitted from the autopsy reports. So obviously that only leads to one conclusion, which is there was not much blood left in the body. Jeez. If any, really. Basically, it was drained of blood. That, that That's the conclusion we can arrive at. And Jake, have you had a chance to go through through the uh, the, the autopsy report? And, and what do you make of that happening? Have you spoken to anyone that has given you any insight as to what could cause that uh, naturally? Uh, the only explanation I've heard um, is that essentially when a body is inundated in water for an extended period of time, that uh, there's it causes quantitation in the blood. Uh, or it, you know, it causes uh, basically blood loss. Um, and in the autopsy report, uh, that's why there was you know such low blood samples uh, because of limited sample availability, like like she said. Um, so you know they even say in the report uh, interpretation is limited. Their uh, conclusion was that she died. As a result of drowning, uh, as an accident that she, you know, climbed in there. Um, you know, the, the most, uh, logical, if you can call it, explanation, non-paranormal, non-murder investigation that I can think of, uh, is that, uh, she went to the roof, uh, and for whatever reason decided she was gonna kind of skinny dip in in this water tank and so she took her clothes off and got in um now her clothes were in there with her uh as well as her room key and her watch so i don't know why she took those in with her because uh most people don't think she was committing suicide very very few people commit suicide via drowning especially in such uh, strange circumstances where you have no control over the situation. It seems very unlikely that she was trying to kill herself by drowning. But, you know, there's a, there's a couple of, um, I, don't, I don't know if you want to call it a mystery, but she was wearing uh, a pair of, of uh, black shorts that were uh, sized men's medium. And we don't know if those were her shorts or why she was wearing uh, men's shorts. Maybe that was just her thing. Uh, and right. interestingly, uh, all of the items, uh, this is according to the autopsy report, all of the items had a sand like particulate attached to the fabric and loosely present in the fold of the clothes. Mm -hmm. Now, no one knows what this sand like particulate is. Uh, had she gone to the beach, had she laid on the roof and maybe the roof had a, a thin layer of sand on it. Right. Um, so that's a, a bit of a mystery. Um, and, uh, you know, so he concludes, you know, that, that she drowned. And then uh, there's an interesting, in the examination report, uh, there's an interesting part where they're supposed to check off what caused the death. And two of them are marked. First, whoever was filling out this uh, document, first checked could not be determined as the cause of death uh and then error is written in to that uh and it's dated 6 18 13 and then accident is checked and that is dated 
hard to tell the date. Looks like maybe 6, 18, 13. So and essentially- I'd also like to add, um, I know in the report, it does say that there was some water found in her lungs and there were some secretions in her airways, but there is an, an overlying theory that there wasn't really enough water in her lungs to justify drowning. I do know some people that say, you know, she didn't really have much water in her lungs so that she essentially couldn't have drowned, which um, raises a lot of questions because it implies that she was killed and then put into the water. Yeah, and and that that I mean that's an interesting theory. You know, because she was in the water for so long, uh, it's it's quite possible that you know her cause of death is a mystery. You know, for example, we don't know how long she was alive in there. Um, it's a very terrifying prospect, but I mean, she could have been in there for hours. I mean, she could have been in there for a day if if her feet could touch the bottom. Or if she was able to tread water, uh, and that's another theory behind why her clothes were taken off, is it's possible that she realized that she was stuck in there and that her clothes were weighing her down with the weight of the water. And so she took the clothes off uh, to, to uh, you know, be able to float better. Uh, someone else even hypothesized that she was trying to clog the drain or something with her clothes. Mm. Um, so yeah, there, there's not a lot of, of answers to be found in the coroner's report, to be honest with you. And yeah, I, I, I'd have to have a, you know, uh, an official coroner, you know, go over this. I mean, I don't, I don't know how much water it takes to drown, but, uh, certainly the idea of, uh, a body dump, uh, is, uh, you know, involved in this, which is the idea that she didn't die on the roof. Uh, but she died somewhere else and was taken there. And um, I have heard uh, at least one writer, uh, no, Brain Scratch, uh, the, re- the researcher Brain Scratch, yeah, is yeah, saying yeah. that the uh, the owner of the hotel, that that week, the week that she was staying there and that she disappeared, was the same week that the owner was uh, signing a new uh, big uh, investment deal uh, with the hotel. And so it could have stood to reason that he didn't want, uh, news of a, of a dead girl showing up. And so had the body concealed in the water tank. Um, it's worth noting that, uh, the police visited the roof twice prior to finding her body. And on the second time they had a canine unit with her. So let's back up. So the first time through, now we're of course assuming that the lid on the water tank was up, right? Because right. If, if, if there was no foul play, she climbed in and the the lid stayed open. It's very unlikely that she jumped in, pulled the lid down with her. Right. Uh, why? There's nothing else on the roof really. So it's hard for me to believe that the police went up to the roof and didn't see that the water tank had uh, an open lid. Uh, then on the second time up, they have a canine unit. Now, canine units are very good. Those dogs are very good at what they do. Uh, it's very strange that they did not pick up on her scent, and that le- lends even more credence to the idea that the body was not there at the time, that mm-hmm. the body was put, was put there later. And um, one thing I really um, 
struck hard with me on the autopsy report is that um, her red sweater, it was found wet, right? But none of the other items, none of her other clothing items were indicated as wet in the autopsy report, which yeah. I found really interesting. It's just a very subtle uh, omittance of a fact, right? Yeah. But yeah. only the sweater was found wet, which makes me think, well, um, you know, what happened to the other clothes? Were they taken off before she was in there? Which definitely implies she was naked before she was put into the tank. Yeah, and I think I, they also were not able to find her cell phone. I think that was the the other uh, thing they were looking yeah, for. Yeah, her cell phone went missing, yeah. And Jake, you, you mentioned... Uh, uh, the police dogs, and that that is very important because I think people need to realize that you know dogs are uh, police dogs are trained vigorously, like they live for uh, you know the search. And it's interesting that they brought in dogs and they couldn't find the body. Now I also know that water is the biggest destroyer of evidence. I don't want to give people any kind of horrible ideas, but. Uh, you know, if you want to get rid of evidence, you know, like throw it in water. It, se it seems to be the, the the thing to do. So I understand that her body being in water probably caused a lot of the evidence to, to be ruined. However, the question still stands of, you know, if they did perform a rape kit, they didn't really release that information in their autopsy report, did they? No, they didn't. And uh, it's... Uh in, incomprehensible to me that, uh, like I said, uh, if a, a, a female turns up missing and is naked, I, I just think it's a no-brainer that you do a rape kit. Um, right. I, I, this is kind of a grisly detail, but mm -hmm. um, I do believe that often when bodies are submerged in water for a long time, the uh, colon prolapses, uh, which means it kind of comes out of right. the body right. a little bit. Um, and, uh, that's a, that's a also considered a, a rectal injury, which, um, I don't think you're supposed to assume that it happens from natural causes. I think you're supposed to do, uh, a rape kit. Um, so there just seems to be a number of, of procedural problems. And this is something I've talked about with brain scratch, which is that, uh, it, it's not so much that there's any one major red flag it's that there's all these just dozens of small red flags right. that that make you think uh and 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 by the way th another fact to note here is that the week this was happening was also the same week that the charles dorner cop killer manhunt was going on oh that's charles, right yeah, yeah yeah charles dorner you know killed a bunch of cops and the entire lapd was on this mad mad manhunt to find Charles Dorner, and I mean, it stands to reason clearly that distracted the hell out of them, and that was one of the biggest things going on in the news. Uh, and this was the same week that that they were investigating this Elisa Lamb case. So I think they made a, a you know, whether or not she was killed or not, whether or not there was a cover up or not. I think there were a lot of procedural errors, and uh, I, I'm pretty determined to figure out a way to get these detectives to talk about talk about it because I, I i think they should have to account for uh I, I i believe in transparency it's why i'm a big fan of wikileaks 
uh, and and uh, leakers, whistleblowers. Um, I believe in transparency, and uh, especially when you have a missing person and you have uh, millions of people that think something nefarious happened. Why not just come out and clear it up? You know, right. And uh, especially and not that this is a good trait for our city here of Los Angeles, but especially in a big city like L.A., where unfortunately, like any other metropolis around the world, you know, we have big city problems. So crime is it's pretty high in L.A. Crimes happens. Murder happens. So I I can only safely assume that the people that work for the coroners, et cetera, et cetera, are used to this and they're probably, you know, seasoned at what they do. So yeah, to see a report of such a major city of, you know, one of the biggest departments in the world, uh, to have so many inconsistencies. I mean, granted, I haven't seen too many of these in my life to know if this is common or not, but it is a bit strange, especially with a, what eventually became a high profile case. I think. Yeah, absolutely. And I was just going to have Genevieve explain something here because I remember we were talking uh, earlier in the week with you, Jake. She was bringing up uh, an aspect of the Chinese culture and in the zodiac signs. And you were explaining how, obviously, as, as many people know, the, the zodiac and, and signs, every sign is meant to represent a trait or a quality that an individual uh, uh, possesses. And Genevieve was, this was really interesting that, you know, you were pointing out that she was uh, uh, born in a particular year. No, or what it, was it? No, the, the year that it occurred. That it occurred. Was the sign of the snake, which in itself, yeah, you know, snakes have um, certain correlations with demons, etc. They have a reputation. I, I hate snakes. With, I'm yeah, terrified. You know, I'm with, terrified with, out of my mind of snakes. <laughs> I love snakes. That's a weird thing. Anyway. No, you you don't. (laughs) No, I don't. No, I don't. Anyway, so for centuries, for millennia, they have had this connection with the idea of a demon. I mean, that, that crosses cultures all over the globe, right? And on top of this, you have various cycles in the Zodiac. So, you know, you go through your, I believe it's a 12-year system. I can't quite remember if it's 11 or 12-year system. And you go through various uh, elements. So you have like gold and, you know, like different metals and stuff like that. Anyway, so this time it was the water element. Hmm. So it was the water snake of all years that this case occurred in. And how how seriously does the Chinese people take uh, you know their No, oh my goodness. My grandmother, I, I didn't even know that, but like apparently she still goes to like her they go to like the Buddhist in okay. like the Buddhist temples and stuff like that. Like and they have their astrology read. And the water snake is a definitely a very significant yeah, so it was very focused on water mm. and the snake demon, which is there's nothing else to say beyond that, really. Right. Yeah, yeah. Apart at from least in that, the context yeah. that we're in, correct? Well, yeah. But, it's, but it, it's it's interesting though because uh, that mirrors uh, another synchronicity, which I mentioned to you, which is that uh, Aleister Crowley wrote a poem about. He has a poem that several parts of it sound eerily like what happened. 
to uh, Elisa Lam. And he and his filmic uh, believers, it was kind of like a religion that was back then, believed in an extra-dimensional demon uh, named Lam, L-A-M. And he wrote this poem while at the Cecil of London. Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. So just more, I mean, now we're getting into more lo- loosely uh, <laughs> associated synchronicities, but you still kind of, uh, you know, the the, the name Lamb, um, you know, has has some significance uh and uh this is something i probably should have looked into but um lamb can mean different things in chinese depending on which you know enunciation Mm -hmm. it has um the most common one uh, or the most common two are lamb which is blue um which is also interesting in itself because blue and water etc or the other one is lamb which means um, woods or forest. Oh. Those are the two main surnames of wow. Lam. Two places so, that scare me. The forest we and should, the sea. Yeah, that's definitely <laughs> something we should look into. But either way, it's pretty creepy. <laughs> no, that is definitely creepy. And actually, for the people that want to learn a little bit about synchronicity, and I actually want to direct people to go to the ghostdiaries.com. Uh, uh, I was reading this article earlier that you guys posted there, Jake, um, called Synchronicity and the Elisa Lam case. And if you, if you folks at home want to find out a little bit more about synchronicity and really get some of like the nitty gritty details about some of the, the synchronicities that surround this case, uh, definitely check it out. But yeah, I'm glad, actually glad you brought this article up because uh, I actually wrote, I've written about synchronicity before. But uh, I went back and I, I really did a lot of research about uh, Carl Hume's original um, research on yeah, it. Yeah, that was he, really he, interesting. I, I was reading what you wrote on that, and that was I, I was really into that. Yeah, yeah, he, he he's one of the rare um, scientists who kept an open mind when it came to um, uh, things like extrasensory perception and paranormal activity. And he, I, I think synchronicity was kind of a way for him to bridge, uh, you know, the worlds uh, that, that he was a part of. Right. Um, but I mean, this is, this is the issue. I mean, him and Freud had a big falling out because over, specifically over paranormal activity, hmm. uh, Freud refused to believe it. And Hume went down the rabbit hole and uh, he ended up, uh, he basically called synchronicity a causal parallelism. Uh, which he, he explained as um, giving meaning to random coincidences. And it gets into some pretty incredible uh, stuff in here about his own experiences. Uh, so Hume had his own fantasy figure, which was an entity he called Philemon, which was his ghostly guru with whom he conversed. Uh, and he believed that such figures uh, in his subconscious created themselves and had a life of their own. So he thought that basically it, it's almost a, a psycho poltergeist. He basically believed that the mind created paranormal activity and then manifested itself out into the world, which is a really cool idea. Right. And it sounds like it's straight out of a horror movie. Um, but in his case, uh, he... Uh, you know, he created this archetype, Philemon, and he, you know, said the psyche, he said, exists in a, continu- a continuum outside time and space. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Jake, have you um, looked into tulpas? Because that's exactly what um, people describe tulpas as. Um, they're manifestations of someone owns, you know, will, someone's own creation. They're just the energy they put into and the willingness they put into some sort of uh, fantastical being and eventually it manifests itself into something physical it's spelled t-u-l-p-a yeah i've never heard of that yeah no it's like it's it's kind of becoming vaguely more mainstream nowadays but that's exactly what you're talking about because um i'm not sure where the etymologically speaking i don't know where it it comes from but that's what you're talking about it's 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 a cool yeah I'll I'll check that out I've actually I'm surprised I've ever heard of that word but uh, yeah and uh, it it ties right in to I mean so he had this other word that he used and then he believed in something called a psychoid uh, a p s y c h o i d and this was an archetype with the ability to manifest itself synchronistically in both material and psychic contexts. Mm-hmm. So I basically think uh, if Hume were alive, I think he would believe that the Cecil Hotel is inhabited by a psychoid, a manifestation of horror and evil that continues to claim lives. Uh, this and and just to get back to synchronicity uh, in this case, uh, I noted the similarities between Elisa Lamb and the Black Dahlia. Now uh, there are some local historians that dispute that Black Dahlia ever went to the Cecil Hotel on the night she died. Nevertheless, uh, they, they both have names derived from Elizabeth. They're both women in their early 20s traveling alone and using public transportation. They both had loose travel plans that were known only to themselves. They're both petite, attractive brunettes with personalities described as charismatic and outgoing. They both also suffered from depression. Each one traveled from San Diego to down, downtown Los Angeles in January. Each was last seen in a downtown hotel. Neither woman's disappearance was immediately reported. They were both missing for a couple of days and then discovered in shocking positions. And the deaths of these unfortunate young women inspired enormous media attention and speculation. So there are a lot of overlaps between um, Elisa Lam and the Black Dahlia uh, that are interesting to note, I think. When we're talking about the, the bridging of these two worlds, if you will, I- It reminded me a little bit of like Jewish mysticism. They have a a term called uh, golem. And and yeah, right. And it's basically, you know, they they can they can put some type of entity into this inanimate object or or figure or whatever and bring it to life. It's really scary. And And the only reason why I'm bringing that up is because when I get into topics and I start going down this path, some of this stuff sounds outrageous. And I'm pretty sure there's people listening right now going like, what? in the world but if you look even in the jewish religion well i know that this is a jewish mysticism but you know this idea goes way way back right so something must be happening throughout human history for people to write it down and leave it written down in books and to me that's the 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 both scary and fascinating on the topic of synchronicity jake i wanted to uh to talk about this video that I, I think it's probably the one of the, the most recent ones that has come out showing probably one of the most baffling cases of synchronicity, in my opinion. 
And I believe it's by the YouTube user. He just goes by, this is all in caps, it's just C uh, space and another letter C, so CC. And he did uh, a video in which he, obviously one of the last places that Elisa Lam was seen at was the last bookstore. Which I guess that in itself is a bit of a of a strange title in again the context we find ourselves yeah, yeah, in. Yeah, definitely. And there's there's a few synchronicities attached to that itself. I don't know if you want to talk about that. Basically, this, what was, this is totally crazy, by yeah, the way. Yeah, yeah, right? you explain that. Yeah, no, this this is the crazy part. So apparently, this this YouTube user went in and and checked out the last bookstore website, and when he was looking for the registration information. For the website, he found that the last bookstore uses a service called registrantprivacy.com. Basically, what all this does, it just keeps, as the name says, your, your information private. I get it. You want to keep certain information private, especially if it's your business. So the last bookstore apparently uses this service, registrantprivacy.com. He went there and, uh, he found that the last bookstore has a mailing address. And this mailing address is in Canada. Specifically, it's a P.O. box in Burnaby, British Columbia. And he took the zip code and this address, which is, and, and folks at home are welcome to try this. Well, once we post the, 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 the interview on our website, we'll link that video as well for anybody that wants to check it out. But you take that zip code of the last bookstore, which is the last place that Elisa Lamb was seen. You take the zip code V5G space 4S2 and you put that into Google Maps. And when you hit enter, the pin drops, not on a street, not, not on a on building, a not on a, yeah, not on a post office. It drops inside of a forest lawn funeral home or the forest lawn cemetery, if you will, and Burnaby. British Columbia. What what made this creepier was the fact that this is apparently the forest lawn where Elisa Lam was buried. And so crazy. And it's uh it's it's so strange and it's so bizarre. Now he he went a step further and he looked up the P.O. box address in the post office box. It's a very short distance from the cemetery. Now, what's interesting is that the P.O. box has a different zip code. And when you plug that zip code into Google Maps, it actually shows you the area that that P.O. box covers, including the cemetery. And then he goes back and puts the, the, the zip code found on the on the registration for the last bookstore and it takes him back to this one pin inside the forest lawn cemetery and i remember when i watched that i was like wow this is this is something else well, how do you take that jake is is this just a really really big coincidence that was another slap across the face to logic um and uh I, yeah i i i <laughs> Uh, it really I, leaves you I, speechless, I, doesn't it? 
Like, how I, I don't is know. That and, and here's another one. I'm, I'm actually just found this one. So the, the tuberculosis research center, which was doing of the prime, a, 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 a large amount of the research on that tuberculosis test happens to be located at the university of British Columbia. Oh, what? which, which is where Elisa lamb went to school. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and, and, uh, conspiracy theorists, get your tinfoil hats out because the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation is involved. Oh wow! Yeah, I don't know. You know, it, it, you know. If anything, like in the film, we're gonna we're gonna go into these synchronicities. We're gonna go into this paranormal activity. At the end of the day, I'm I'm not expecting to prove. I, I'm not. My agenda is not to prove something, but more to lay out the evidence. And I think at the end of the day, it, it, I, I look at this case as is uh, it, it has become a kind of Rorschach test for uh, people look at it and they see a narrative uh, that is closely aligned to how they perceive the world. Right. Uh, and people are going to interpret it different ways. But it's one of the things that's become so interesting to me about this case is that there it's just an endless rabbit hole, no matter you can find anything here that you want and it's become this uh, reflection on our society that at the end of the day, if it turns out that the simplest explanation is true, which is that it was an accident from her having bipolar disorder, what we have here is one of the most profound examples of a society that does not understand mental illness that we could possibly have. And that's an element of the film I want to go into. It's not that I'm saying that I, I necessarily don't think, believe in mur the murder conspiracy or, you know, paranormal activity could, you know, two of them could be true. It could be paranormal activity and psychiatric. They could both be going on. But one thing is for certain, which is that people don't understand mental illness in this country. And um, it's uh, a lot of people don't get medication they need because it's stigmatized. Um, and uh, a lot of people that don't need medication get it in the form of painkillers and Adderall. And a lot of people that do need medication don't get it because they're scared. They don't want their family to know that they have a problem. And, and, in, and unfortunately, in Elisa's case, this was the problem. She documents pretty thoroughly that um, she really couldn't talk about this with her parents. Uh, fortunately, she was able to talk about it with her sister, and her sister did help her um, get help. Um, but this was not something that, that she could talk about openly with her family, and it was a crippling part of her life. She spent days just in her room under the covers of her bed. And I can empathize with that. I've had chronic depression most of my life. I actually uh, have um, a low level of bipolar, uh, not anything to the scale that she has. But I have days where I, I just really feel physically ill from from anxiety and depression. So I, I can really uh, identify with this. And so uh, if I can't if I can't prove, you know, murder or paranormal, I'm going to look at all these things. At the very least, there's one thing I'm going to prove, which is that uh, there is a lot of um, confusion about things like bipolar disorder and uh, depression in general in this country. And I think if nothing else, I think uh, this case could turn into a kind of community. And already this is happening of so many different people that are into the case who go to her blog entries and get comfort from what she wrote about depression. And it's created a kind of community, decentralized community of people who can commiserate uh, and 
So if the film accomplishes nothing else, it would be to humanize her and to allow her to posthumously help other people that have the same problem. And honestly, that is, that is something that is very, very needed because here in the U S we are, we are a bit behind on, on having uh, a better understanding and compassion for people with these type of trouble. Uh, Jake, we're almost out of time, but uh, before we let you go, why don't you tell people uh, if, if there's any way to get involved, uh, you know, like I just put a call out there, anybody that stayed at the Cecil, you know, we would love to hear from them. Uh, is there a place where people can get in touch with you and, and, and just kind of keep tabs on, on the progress as you, as you venture into this project? Yeah, please. We want people to contact us. If you have information, if you have any leads, if you have a theory, if you are just obsessed with the case and want to be interviewed about it, you can, um, you can email me personally if you want at jakeanderson40 at gmail.com. Um, you can find my Twitter handle. I'm sure it'll be listed in the page info. Or you, like I said, you could go to on Facebook. If you search Elisa Lamb Web Sleuth team and try and join that group. Uh, you can get involved. Uh, you can message me. You find me on Facebook, uh, and Jake Anderson, uh, message me directly. Uh, there's multiple ways of getting in touch with me and I'm very open to uh, collaboration. I mean, uh, we're going to be collaborating. Uh, <laughs> very happy. I got to do this show and meet you guys. And because I need, we need a team, um, that can go back and sift through uh, this crazy, crazy case and try and find some semblance of order to it. So anyone who wants to help with that, I consider this a crowdsourced uh, investigation. Um, and we have a lot of cool people working for us right now. And uh, anyone who has any information uh, or just wants to be a part of the project, um, you know, message me and let me know. And uh, we'll go from there. Uh, JakeAnderson40 at gmail.com. Nice. or at over the moon sf on twitter jake thank you so much for being with us and and staying up late and talking about this case man that uh as i mentioned at the top of the show has captured many people's attentions and, and i'm sure people are going to be waiting for for what you're doing and what you find and and let's hope that whether the truth whatever that may be let's hope we we can get closer to that well, mm-hmm. thank you so much for having me on the show. It was my pleasure. Um, got a lot of hard work ahead of me, but it, it helps to have uh, helps to have the support of people like you. And so, yeah, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Jake. Enjoy the rest of your night. Thanks, guys. And that was Jake Anderson, writer and director of the uh, of of this project, this documentary, where he's going to tackle the mystery of the Elisa Lamb case. I feel like I can breathe now because it's it's such a heavy topic. Like just talking about it just feels heavy. Thanks again to to Jake Anderson. Um, that being said, take care, be safe, God bless. Don't do anything too crazy. Want to see you back next week. As always, I'm Engineer Frank on Twitter. West of the Rockies on Facebook. Don't forget uh, to follow the show on Twitter at wtrradio.com. Subscribe to our YouTube. If you're listening to YouTube, hit subscribe. Uh, let us know what you think about this case. This case, man, uh, everyone has an opinion. We'll love to hear yours. Uh, subscribe to our YouTube, youtube.com forward slash wtrradio. As always, Genevieve joins me, Genevieve Uway on Twitter and catch her here every Thursday nights at 8 p.m. hosting no added flavors, music, fun facts, jokes, and whatnots. Uh, mm-hmm. a, lot of, a lot of fun mm-hmm. stuff. 
Definitely <laughs> not as heavy as, as this. No, not at all. As it's always a party on no added flavors. All right, guys, let's see. Uh, let's go out with a little bit of here's uh, Heaven Beside You by Alice in Chains. This is West of the Rockies. We'll see you back next week. Till then, take care. Bye, everyone. West of the Rockies with Frank the Engineer on the Independent FM, Los Angeles.